Hi, everybody. Chris Gathard here. Surprise. Surprise. I know we told you New Jersey is the world as a monthly podcast. Generally, that's going to be true. But since we're kicking things off, I'm going to give you another free episode. Another free episode, month one, because we're real good giving people who want to work hard for you. A couple things I'll say up top. One, we're not going to have any, uh, any commercials breaking up this one, none of the fake commercials. So I'll just say up top, remember, if you like what we're doing here, you want to check out our merch, it's at belowthecollar.com slash chrisgethard. That's belowthecollar.com slash chrisgethard. There's a whole lot of great shirts there. New Jersey is the world logo stuff. We have a uh, What Would Bruce Do shirt we just put up. We got the uh, theme park union worker shirt from uh, the reference to last week's episode. So please do check those out. Also want to say thank you to everyone who's signing up for the Patreon. We are so psyched to see your enthusiasm. We're flattered. Again, it's motivating us to work real hard and we're going to start sending stuff down the pike your way. You're not even going to believe how much value we are giving you for your money. And uh, that's very sincere. Thanks. And if you want to check that out, of course, patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. And last but not least, anything you hear on New Jersey is the world, any of the projects, if you have a reaction, if it triggers a story of your own, if you want to just bring up something random you haven't heard about yet, 973-780-4660, leave a voicemail. It'll probably wind up in one of our shows. That's 973-780-4660. Now, why are we giving you another free episode? It's because of this. We want to make sure you know we're, we're focusing so hard on New Jersey as our springboard, obviously, but we're really finding on our end that this thing's cutting deep. A lot of it is about how we were raised, why we were raised that way, how insane life can be when you're young and figuring things out for yourself. The way that often young people, I I think certainly for when we grew up and I think even now, you kind of feel a little lost at sea, like you're figuring it out. And then you get a little older, you look back and go, oh my God, what were we thinking doing that? I think those are major themes that are universal, whether you have Uh, love for New Jersey or not. And this episode shows that off in a big way. There's a lot of content that I think strikes that chord. And this one is all about how we used to explore abandoned mental asylums, which anybody from New Jersey is going to go, uh-huh. And I think even the people from outside of the state might have this experience of this urban exploration. And, And most of all, we'll go, man, the trouble you can get into when you're young is fun to reminisce about. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I love this town. I love this town just like loving a hamburger on a sesame bun. Yeah. What do you do for fun in New Jersey? You go to an abandoned mental hospital. For real. Me and Mike D and Bonaduce are going to let you know all about that. There must be something in the water in West Orange. I've reached such avant-garde. Kids are going to start shit. In parks where we spit arson and sparks splits That's each county, America's armpit Carnival Oh boy, that flea market I bought a crossbow there And I imagine it was sort of a Two Roman legions charging at each other uh, Intertown fighting Some people have been there in the middle of the night To whip pumas with belts The last time I got in a fist fight I threw a carton of Clinton's orange aid At a man's face I'm gonna take you to this terrible crime-ridden city And then I'm gonna pull my pants down on you No, I've never had a hoagie in my life Or a grinder This is like a weird vortex That doesn't apply to the laws of time and space I know
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wotown. Another episode of, I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, the greatest New Jersey-themed podcast you're ever going to hear, because we're, we're doing it for real, and we're not pulling our punches, baby. And, and today we're talking about something that is uh, just about as real as it gets. It's the bin. I'll explain more later. Before we get to that, Mike D., how are you doing tonight? I'm great. It's the longest night of the year, so I'm happy to be with three of my favorite people wearing my Slayer Christmas sweater and ready to talk about the bin. I can see you in the Zoom. In tribute to us talking about the bin, you are in a sweater covered in pentagrams. Just covered. Nikki Bonaduce, are you ready to get down and dirty about, I, I think, one of the scariest places I've ever been to this day? Definitely. Love it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm totally excited. One of those places that... Um it was it was close, but yeah, hard to get to. I uh, I will note we were going to do a different episode, and then Mike D, you pointed out it's the solstice. I also believe tonight is the closest Saturn and Jupiter have been together in in a long time. There is some weird celestial stuff going on tonight, so it makes sense that you said let's do let's do an episode about something kind of twisted. It makes a lot of sense to me. I went out to observe the the conjunction of uh, I think what Saturn and Jupiter. I think so. And yeah. it's yeah, the, the it's the closest they've been in hundreds and hundreds of years. And you know, space, space telescope people have a suspicion <laughs> that this was actually what in ancient times people thought was the Christmas star. Because if you look up in the sky, those two planets together look super super bright, and it only happens you know every couple of hundred years. So. I think it's a very auspicious evening to discuss the bin. Now, the bin, short for the loony bin, which is slang, obviously, for a mental hospital. Overbrook is the name of the hospital complex. It was uh, on a hilltop. A large portion of it was off of Fairview Ave in Verona. And then when you went up to the hill, there was the hilltop portion. And that hilltop butted up, I believe, against Verona, Cedar Grove, and North Caldwell. You could access it from uh, any of those towns. And I'll say a couple things about it. One, if you're not from New Jersey, this one probably doesn't make as much sense. But Jersey people can tell you, first of all, exploring scary things, haunted things, strange things. It's a big part of growing up in New Jersey. And two, what I would say is when we decided to talk about this tonight, Nick and Mike, I don't know how you feel. The bin, I'm realizing, was a much bigger part of my teenage experience than I realized. It really was pretty informative in a lot of ways. I don't know if you guys feel the same. I think for me, it was definitely huge because... Like you said, we would go out and we would visit all these scary, legend-tripping kind of places. And they were fun and spooky. But when you went to the bin, the bin was actually really terrifying and really dangerous. So I think it was really formative in that way because a lot of people who would go to you know Annie's Road would never go to the bin. So if you went to the bin and kept going back, I think it just meant that you'd sort of passed a certain point of of dealing with your own personal fear. Nick, when you think back to the high school experience, climbing up that hill, going to the abandoned mental hospital, how much of a factor is this thing when you think back? Oh, definitely huge. 
I remember um, it was kind of like this weird thing because you had to, you had to, like, if from where we were coming from West Orange before I knew the other way, which if you just drove a little bit further, you could walk in on a flat road instead of growing up that terrible road. You had to park your car there and then, like, it's like on a county road. So like, you know, county cops are going to come through there at night. So like, number one, you're leaving your car and you have to get back to it. Number two, if you walk up from that, uh, from the lower area behind the abandoned buildings that are already there, that were covering your car from being parked, going to this known spot. And there was also always other people there. I was like, there would also be other people there and you wouldn't see them, but you could hear them. And then there was just a general uncomfortableness about you know being in the hills of Essex County walking up this road it's completely pitch black you hear other people you might see shadows and stuff like that and then on top of that I mean you know it was it was definitely like I was always like pretty confident and pretty much like kind of whatever adventure we were going to there's always the thrill of like you know discovering a new area or going somewhere you'd heard about for a long time but it was legitimately like you were scared going up there when you first started doing it, and then it became a little bit more normal. But there was always a threat going up there that, like, something really fucking bad could happen to you. Like, legitimately. Like, even if you were with your friends. So, I, you know, there's people who went up there solo and stuff, but, like, I couldn't imagine ever going there just by myself to go, like, hang out. You know what I mean? Like, maybe during the day. We've been up there during the day. It's just, you know, it's still dangerous, you know, too, on top of everything else. Of course. And I, I got to say, too, um, a very, very formative magazine for, I think, every kid who grew up in our era of New Jersey was Weird New Jersey Magazine. Um, Carson, our producer, was actually with me. I became obsessed with it. I, I found a copy in Middle Earth Comics, Bloomfield Avenue, when I was 15 or 16. And Carson was there the first night we went out and started driving around. And it became my whole thing to the point where I worked there for years. So that magazine, if you're ever looking into like these local legends, New Jersey, you you have to track it down. It's essential, essential reading. Now, I know I found out about the bin through you guys, because you were going up there and my brother started telling me stories. So I'm wondering how you found out about it. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't talked about. It was abandoned buildings on a hill. I'm wondering how you guys first heard about it. I remember this really, really clearly. So there were two punk kids that we were friends with who were a couple years older than us. So I think you know, I, I was a freshman in high school. They were juniors or seniors. They're guys that we all know. I'll, I'll keep their name out of this. But um, And so one day they said, oh, take a ride with us. We're going to go see this kid. He has all these crazy letters and files and charts from serial killers and, and mental institutions. So I was like, oh, this sounds really great. So... <laughs> We drove over to uh, to Hazel, which was a middle school in West Orange, and you know, I guess because nobody really met in anybody's house, that wasn't a thing. Everyone had had parents, so we met him in the schoolyard, and he had this gym bag, and he opens it up and he starts showing us all this stuff. And sure enough, he has all these really old case files of of mental patients where people are describing why people were institutionalized or that they'd gone crazy in the lunchroom and attacked people. And then the other thing that he had was he had letters from John Wayne Gacy. So John Wayne Gacy, I'm sure, I don't have to explain this, was a really (laughs) insane, notorious serial killer who dressed up like a clown and, and killed all these young men. 
And I said to him, I said, how, how did you get letters from John Wayne Gacy? He said, oh, I just, you know, looked up at the library where he was in prison and I wrote him a letter. And a couple weeks later, he wrote me a letter back and he said, I'd be happy to write letters with you. Just make sure you send me a picture of you. You know what it's for. And he had this letter and wow. I remember seeing the letter. And so the next thing I asked him, I was like, well, where did you get all these case files? And he's like, oh, I got them at the bin. It's like, well, what's the bin? He said, it's, oh, this, it's this giant abandoned mental institution complex that's over in Verona. I'll tell you where it is. And, and he sort of drew out like a little map again, pre-internet days. You couldn't GPS these things or look them up. And then the first time that I, I went there was with those two punk rock kids. So we drove over and we followed his directions and we found the road but actually, we got lost and actually couldn't find the bin because if you knew where the road was, it was actually there was still an active hospital complex there. And we didn't realize the difference between the two. We thought he was pulling our chain. So the first time we went, we actually struck out and left. And then after we talked to a few more people, we found out where it was. And I think Nick and a bunch of us went and actually found, found our way up there after that. The history of the place, it, the reason it was built where it was, uh, my understanding, is it's the highest point in Essex County. So a tuber- it was a tuberculosis hospital, I, I believe, in the beginning, uh, because the air was cleanest up there. At, at times, it was used as a mental hospital, a rehab center, um, all sorts of stuff. And if you want to see good pictures of it, you know those books... Um, they have like those little like postcard books that are like I forget what they're called like Voices of America or something and I have one for each town. Yeah, it was like a my soul, brother yeah. wrote one of those. <laughs> they they have one for Overbrook and you can see the pictures from way back in the day where it had its own train station and farms and we heard a lot about what was going on up there. You'd hear about stuff that happened back in the day and you hear about stuff that was still going on. Um, so before we even talk about our actual experiences up there, like for example, one of the things you heard a lot was that all the buildings were connected by underground tunnels and that there were people living in the tunnels. You'd hear that there were like, you know, when they shut down the hospital, there were some people whose families hadn't claimed them. (laughs) So they would just go back there and live in the abandoned buildings, live in the tunnels. Um, what are some of the things you guys had heard? before going up there because there were a lot there were a lot of stories one i always heard was that on nice days they would put the patients outside in cages uh to get fresh air and that if you went up and down the roads you could see the patients in cages that was something that i heard and i'm assuming is likely not true but you never know with no i think that was definitely true yeah i i think that's definitely true that that wasn't necessarily at the bin that was actually down on the other road uh, the lower side on Fairview, that was, and then they, and then they de-escalated the um, level of. I mean, it was also a different time period. I think it was like probably let's say fifties, sixties. They were doing stuff like that, not like you know, nineteen ninety. Like, let's go put the loony. You heard out a lot cages. about skinheads being up there. You heard about a lot of Nazi stuff, Satanist. Yeah, stuff. Satanist for sure. Heard about there is supposedly an underground. Uh, chapel. I always heard that there was an underground chapel. I never saw the chapel, but I heard that there was a chapel inside one of the buildings. I've been to the chapel. The it church, wasn't yeah. underground, though. Yeah, it, it wasn't. A, there was a church on the ground. Yeah, it was I, like yeah. Good. It was like a it. If if my memory serves me, which it usually does, it was like a 
a non-denominational chapel, if I remember. So it was sort of what I guess would be sort of like a worship room. You know, it had wood paneling and pews, but there wasn't any outwardly religious symbols in it. But you could tell that it was definitely set up for some kind of religious ceremonies. And I remember that place at first was not that torn up. And then over the years, as we went more and more, that actually got completely covered in satanic graffiti and became a, a, like what looked to be like heavy metal church. <laughs> I know by the time I started going up there a few years after you guys, it had been torn down. That was one of, I think the county, when they realized how much, um, how much Essex County kids were flipping out about this place and going there, I think the church was one of the first places they were like, we got to get the uh, church covered in satanic graffiti out of here. Yeah. I think they did those two main buildings. Cause there was actually like people falling down the elevator shafts and like that. I think that's, that's what prompted uh, the demo up there. And then that real estate actually became valuable. If you go up there now, it's like insane. It's like a, they carved out a whole new subdivision and, and it's like a beautiful area now. I mean, not that it wasn't beautiful before, but yeah. It had a natural, it's a beautiful beauty. haunted. Yes, yeah. I, mean, haunted I, I don't area. think I'd want to like live in any of those neighborhoods now, because no way. I'm a big believer in you know uh, your soul being unrest or whatever. But I mean, there was a lot of terrible abuse that went on in places like that. Any sort of institution, and it's like, especially that you're in also a place that like people were like you know summoning demons and whatever else is going on. Like, I definitely that goes back on the thing. Like, don't move into a haunted house unless you know. My criteria you've heard before. <laughs> yep, we've all heard it. We've all heard it. <laughs> we've all seen Poltergeist. Yeah, now, we know the, Nick, the dangers you, of there. When you started actually going up there, because here's the thing I love about the bin. Here's the thing I love about a lot of this New Jersey stuff. Because just like any place, you hear these local legends, and you drive to a place, and you you know you, you're in high school. Maybe you know the driver's sober, and the, everybody else in the car is a high school kid who's had a couple of drinks, and you freak yourselves out. You go home, but there's a decent amount of places where you actually can get into some situations where you go, this is this is beyond normal. Um, not necessarily even supernatural, but just encounters with other people, things like that. Nick, I'm wondering, what are some of the actual experiences you had when you started going up there? So maybe like one of the first or second times we all went up there was like our you know, neighborhood crew, neighborhood ninja, Mike D, me, <laughs> Franimal, and other assorted characters. But um, <clears throat> something had happened. We ran into some kids and they were like a little older from uh, than us and they weren't from our town, but they were like, yo, what up? No, no, no. Like we kind of like, both went our own ways and then like they must have been fighting somebody or something and then that other group of people were up there so where those other buildings that were taller had been demoed there was like open fields of like grass but they weren't just yeah. grass anymore they were like waist high like fucking weeds so like we're like oh my god we really don't know the area that well but we know that if we make it across this field it would take us back down to the switchback road that would get us back to our cars and i remember running full speed we were all running side by side and then all of a sudden, one of our good friends, the neighborhood ninja, like literally falls into an open manhole. Somebody had opened a manhole cover and there was Ooh. an open pit in the ground. <laughs> so luckily, both of his legs didn't go down. Or unluckily, like he's lucky he didn't break his leg. But one leg goes down in a thing and all of a sudden, neighborhood ninja on his face. <laughs> like, and you're like, ooh! Like terrible, like oh, like we're like oh my god, like we freak out, turn around, we like look down, and he's stuck in the manhole, like in his legs, like oh, like you know, like one leg goes in, the other leg's like you're just face plant, like 
hitting the balls, like pick up neighborhood ninja, and we're just like, oh, just like, like it looked like something out of a war. Like people are dragging your friend away from like this mob that may or may not actually be behind us, but you, you know, there was screaming, and you would be up there and hear like screams from one side to the other, like. And you wouldn't see anybody, which is like disturbing because there's so much like space, you know. But yeah, that that Nick was a terrifying I, like, moment. I remember. <laughs> Nick and I like it takes us a second to realize what's happening, and we turn around and all we see is the neighborhood ninja from like the waist up, and we run over and we're pulling him out of this hole, and it's like platoon. We each have you know one of like one of his arms around our shoulder, and we're dragging him. And I remember he lost a shoe, yeah. um, and we're dragging him. He's my shoe my shoe we're like we have to leave it we because we really you know we were we, we pretty convinced we were like, that yeah. one of these mobs were coming to get us and we were always armed it's like you know we were we were kind of like obsessed with having weapons on us as kids as some of the stories would tell us but i think going up there legitimately like anybody you ran into probably had like a bat or something with them or some kind of other hidden thing or you know whatever Everybody had their weapon of choice but like it was a good idea to go up there and have something with you because something you probably you probably could have got hurt if you didn't somebody it's the kind of environment where you know lord of the flies kind of takes over so it's like your group of people ran into another strange group of people in like the middle of nowhere and you know it just evolves into a challenge or whatever you know it's it's a threat especially since it wasn't our neighborhood it wasn't our town so like we're basically the invaders there so the kids that are from those areas like growing and all them like I personally would give them ownership on that turf and probably try and walk away from something. You know what I mean? That just that's just my we're we're the aggressors in in coming to their area. So if I was in West Orange and somebody from another town came into like my area, like I would have a problem too, even if it was like the bin, you know. There was a story my brother told me about you guys going up there, and I never knew to this day if he was telling me to scare me or how true this was. I've always yeah. wanted to ask you guys about it. He told me that one time a group of West Orange kids went up to the bin and in one of those big open fields between the buildings, like Nick, what Nick had said, where a building was raised, so it was just open, which I also have to say at night, when you were in one of those buildings looking across those fields, it was just unsettling. I don't know how to describe it except to say it was truly unsettling. Greg told me there was a bonfire in one of those fields and a bunch of skinheads around it, and that a girl from this group of skinheads, like some blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, broke off and kind of snuck back to the West Orange kids and said, hey, they know you're there, they know you're watching, and you better yeah. get out of here right now. Yeah, yeah that's, that's you're, the regulator is spot on with that story. Like, And that was terrifying. And I think to to set it up for people, so... We're talking about it like it's one building, but this is actually an entire complex of buildings. And the other thing about it was the buildings were set in about a 200-acre conservation easement. And there was ba- there were more or less two ways you could come in, two roads that were pretty far apart. So one road that you would come in, which was you would go near the hospital that was still operating, you would climb over this gate and walk v- up this, you know, very steep hill and you'd get to a top to the top of it where there was a water tower. And then in front of you, like like Bonadu said, there was this huge field. And when you got up to that field, the buildings were at the far end of the field. And it was probably like a quarter of a mile at least. 
so it was you couldn't really see people but you could see if they had flashlights so when we went up there that night we got to the top of the hill where the water tower is and we looked across the field and we didn't see flashlights we saw a fire and so we were all just kind of huddled by this water tower like wow what should we do should we go in and then that's when this this skinhead girl came up and and essentially basically warned us off and was like you need to get out of here like this isn't a night you should be here uh and and to the best of my memory we took her advice and and split and went over to applegate and uh you know made it out alive that night i should let you know my first time there and i think you guys will really appreciate this um (laughs) my buddy pat cobb he had got really into paintball very much a jersey in the 90s thing and uh we used to play in these woods kind of behind redwood school and it was fun and then one day he calls me up and he goes, dude, are you free? I said, yeah. He goes, you got to grab your, grab your gun, grab your mask. We found these abandoned buildings in the middle of nowhere. It's just, it, we can go up there and we can play. So we went up there and we're walking around. Everybody's like, what is this? And it was during the day. All of us are like, what is this? And then we go inside and I start reading this graffiti And I remember it was something, we were up on the top floor of one of these buildings, kind of scouting it out. We hadn't started playing yet, just sort of like, which buildings are safe, which buildings are falling apart, what's, you know, you're allowed to go in this one, this one looks like it's too dangerous, like, let's not fuck around there. And I see on one of the walls, just written huge, it was something along the lines of, like, please free me, they won't let me go. And I was just reading it, and all of a sudden it just hit me. All the stories Greg had told me about you guys going up there, I just go, do you guys know where we are right now? And all my friends went, no. And I just went, guys, this is the bin. And everybody just kind of froze in horror. And we uh, we then played paintball. And then uh, about two months later, they, they went up there to play again. I just wasn't in the mood, and Pat came and picked up my gun, so they had an extra gun, and then the Essex County Police arrested all of them and put them in <laughs> jail in Newark, and my gun was uh, confiscated. Thank God you didn't go. Yeah. But that was, my, nice. uh, that was my introduction, was this moment of, like, shit-your-pants-level fear, realizing, like, this is the place that I've heard all those stories about. Now we're here. So I found out about it. So I found out about it, and uh, I'm sure we'll just go through many, many different um, stories there. I, I mean, Mike D and I have both listed a dozen different things that have happened to us. Um, oh, here's one thing that I think we can all speak to, and this happened to me. You'd hear rumors of people living up there, and there was this, I mean, a bunch of buildings, but some of them were clearly like, Oh, this was clearly like the the work area where they had a bunch of machines. You know, they probably had like tons of sewing machinery here and people were working sewing and stuff. You could see some of them were more like factory vibes. Yeah, like there machine was, shop, I remember. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But there was, and some you could tell, oh, this was staff quarters. It's kind of out of the way. It's smaller. But there was one building that was very clearly still standing that was where they had kept actual patients. And the front steps... <laughs> said welcome to hell on the front steps <laughs> and you can see it's on the front cover of weird new jersey number nine those steps and you'd go from room to room and they were all trashed and they had like the metal cots little twin size mattress little end table and all of them were trashed flipped over and i remember 
opening the door to one of them one night when I was there and it had been swept out and that little bed had been set back up and there were sheets on it oh. and it had been totally cleaned and you just walk in and go, somebody's living here. Like not somebody was living here. Like this person might be in the corner of this room or this person might be hiding in that closet. Someone is living here. And that, that was, you asked me, that was real. There were people living out of there. I yeah, don't know that, who they were, what the deal was. That seemed especially true. Um, if you came in the other road, there were still like some smaller houses that were, um, like you said, like, I guess they were used for something, whatever, but they were like residential. And those were the ones that like, I mean, they they definitely looked like people were actively living in. They were like some of the nicer homes too. Like they weren't completely destroyed. And it always seemed like the higher you went up into the building, because I guess they figured most kids aren't going to come in there because they're going to be scared or whatever, especially at night. So if you're up higher in the house, you know, you're probably going to be less likely to be bothered by anybody. And it gives you time if somebody is coming to probably hide so they don't see you, even if they find your bed or whatever like that. But yeah, there was so many signs of people living up there. I mean, I, it doesn't, you know, surprise me at all for sure. And you're left to wonder, you're like, are these, and legitimately, are these people who are on the run from the law? Are these drug addicts who have nowhere else to go? But none of the thoughts that come into your mind are of safe situations, right? There's no, where you're like, oh, I wonder who's living there. Oh, probably just somebody who wanted to live here. No, this is someone <laughs> off the grid, evading something, always scared. Every weird New Jersey site, I've always said, people go, oh, well, what's the scariest thing? It's never that you see the ghost of the white lady at the white lady tree. It's never, you know, oh, I went and touched the devil's tree and the devil chased. I saw the devil at the devil's tower. <laughs> it's the ones that involve people. The truly scary stories are the ones that involve people. And the bin is, I think, a prime example of that. Because like we all keep saying... You'd see other people up there. It was a known, it was a known place, and right. It's not like a, it's not like abandoned mental asylums are. You know, every two towns, so people would travel from all over the place to come see this. So there were often, there were almost always other people there. It was, it was definitely a destination and, you know, people that sort of ran in the, I don't know. I mean, I know there's some corny name for it now, like Ur Urbex urban exploration, but whatever the pre-internet version of that was, people knew that this was there and they would come and, and do it. So you could count on running into other people there and you never know whether that encounter was going to be like cool or funny, or you were going to get your hand cut off. Now, before we continue that thought, Mike D we should note that on the zoom, Nick has decided to start shining a red flashlight into his face and making demon faces. I'm Mike the devil. I see Mike D there's a few things you've listed in our document examples of, of times when you <laughs> did run into people. <laughs> Do you want to, uh, Mike, do you want to air out any of your favorite memories as far as actually running into people there in a way? I, I know I've got a couple incidents that really scared me to my core. I mean, the, the one that stands out, and I know has been a story that's passed around for through our group of friends for a very long time, was, you know, the, 
one of the the big things you would want to do with the bin was you would want to go explore the tunnels because the part about the whole thing being connected by underground tunnels was true. And the rumor was, oh, they had to have tunnels because some of the patients couldn't go out into the daylight because they would go insane. But I'm, I'm pretty sure the tunnels were really just a a utility feature to be able to move medical equipment and food and stuff through, through all these in buildings. The winter, yeah, I think it was mostly about the winter. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of what I think it was a, a convenience feature. But whatever it was for, there were tunnels connecting all the buildings, and exploring those was was sort of the the apex of what you would do at the bin. So we were we were down there one day exploring, and we're walking around. It's a a, a group of us, five or six people, and we have flashlights, and it's pitch black down there. There's no natural light. It smells damp and musty. It's wet down there. Um, the paint is peeling everywhere. And there's all kinds of abandoned medical equipment. So like, you might turn a corner and see a wheelchair or a gurney. Or you shine your flashlight into a doorway and you're looking at a medical office or a dentist's office from the 1950s with the chair and the equipment all hanging down. And the, the tunnels, parts of them were trashed and parts of them weren't as trashed as the rest of it. So some of it looked a little bit okay. So we were down there walking around. And we go to turn a corner and we hear an echo coming from one of the tunnels. The tunnels are really long. I mean, some of them are probably 50, 60 yards long. And so we stop and we're making no noise and we hear this echo coming down the tunnel. And we're like, oh, this isn't good. Like somebody must be down here. And as it gets a little louder, we can tell that it's footsteps. And then we see a light coming at like a perpendicular corner. So from the corner of the, the hallway we're at, from the L, we see a light, a very dim light start to get brighter and brighter. And we're like, okay, so we, 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 we get our weapons out. You know, I think at the time my, my weapon of choice was a Yankees mini bat, which I got at Yankee Stadium for mini bat day. And we're all hunched over. And we're like, I mean, that was the reason you went to mini bat day, which you wanted the free billy club they gave out. And uh, you didn't even stay for the game personally. No, I just went to Mini Billy Club Day, got the Billy Club, and went back back home. And uh, we're standing there, and then all of a sudden we see this light come around the corner, and there there's a a goth girl is coming around the corner, and she has a candle in one hand and a notebook in the other. And she seems to be reciting poetry. So we all turn on our flashlights and we're like, hey. And she, it, calm as anything, not scared at all, is like, oh, hey, it's really nice down here, huh? And I'm like, yeah, oh, it, Jesus. it's cool, I guess. And it always just struck me back then, like, you're a single person walking around an abandoned mental asylum underneath in the tunnels. You're walking around with a candle in the pitch black and you're totally okay with this and you come on a group of other people, five or six people, and you're completely calm and comfortable with this. And that always struck me as one of the spookiest things that I've ever seen. I sometimes wonder, you know, was, I mean, I know this happened because a whole bunch of us were there, but was she a person or was she something else to, to be that comfortable doing that in that place? Yeah. I think that just comes down to like, those places are magnets for like weirdos. Uh, the people living there nine times out of 10 probably have severe mental health issues. 
and can't function anywhere else or it's just like a safe space for them to like sleep at night i mean like that's the that's the human variable of like when you go into a place like that number one there's people like us number two there's weird psychos that actually use it for you know whatever entertainment purposes they might be using it for or, or rituals and then there's the people living there it's just like a you know can't can't underestimate the uh mentally ill Nick, any any memories of encounters with humans up there that stand out? Uh, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, that feeling of always being watched. And I remember, it's funny, that the first tunnel that I went into was right off of like one of those machine shops. And it must have been like, you know, the building that probably repaired everything up there. They had like, you know, everything that was still in there, like, you know, everything's fall apart. But in that building in particular, I thought it was unique because... You go down to the basement floor, and then there was a metal ladder around a pit. You would almost yeah. think it was like a sump pit, right? Oh, I can see it. I can still but yeah, but see you, exact, the exact Yeah, you know what I'm that. saying, right? Like, to go in there and to get down. So, like, as far as the accessibility thing, like, well, like, how were they originally? I don't remember there being, like, a set of stairs or something that got you into that tunnel normally. It wasn't, like, maybe because that was the machine shop, they would lower things down into it off of, like, a chain or something. I don't know. I can't remember. It was an elevator. Like was there I think an that's why. Oh, that was just an empty yeah, shaft with like an access on it. Okay, that makes more sense. They so, probably took the elevator out. It, well, the elevator. That yeah, that's exactly or it. I so just not remember part think, of it. You know. Well, I think the elevator. The elevators were the way you would normally get down the tunnels, but obviously they didn't work anymore. And I think someone at some point either removed or froze the elevators. And that was another threat there was people would always say, before you walk in a doorway, make sure you shine your light on the floor because a bunch of different people had fallen down elevator shafts there because it looked just like a normal open doorway. Um, And and you would shine your... So that was another thing too, like, oh, make sure there's a floor where you're walking because you might end up in a sub-basement somewhere. And if you remember that, that building was like uh, lower than the high part of the hill. So it was like a topography garage. of like the area was like where that tunnel must have gone in. So let's say you're already lower when you come up that road. And I think there was a flagpole there because we chained one of our friends to it one night because we were not being nice to them. And anyway, right at that same flagpole, you were at the lower part. So, at, so when you went in the building and then you climbed down into there, I remember going out like that tunnel must have been pretty deep under that hill by the time it was going towards those other buildings. But like that one, it must have made it like I forgot how far that one went. But when we got to the end, it was like literally like collapsed in in the center, like the concrete roof and walls were like tumbled in on each other. And there was dirt from the outside that like was the one tunnel. That's like when you got to the end of it, like that was it. I remember going down there for the first time, like very distinctly. Now, I got to ask, because a lot of people listening to this grew up differently than we did and they don't just offhandedly toss out something like that was the flagpole we once chained our friend to (laughs) and move on so i feel like there's probably many people listening to this going wait what so i feel like on their behalf i have to say wait what we need that story i mean i know who it was but i'm wondering i've never heard the full story i just know that a friend of ours was once chained to a pole and left at the bin for a while. I know that much. Yeah, I don't think we were ever going to like really leave him there. But um, I can't remember why we did it. There was a reason why it happened. But I think because we thought it would be funny. Oh, maybe. I, I mean, I think that was the main motivation. Was we we were up there one night funny and through cruelty. <laughs> 
we were, yeah, we were, we were hanging out and we had done our explorations and it, and it had just gotten dark and we were standing there. And for some reason we had chains and handcuffs, which I'm sure we were carrying <laughs> for safety reasons. And I was like, Oh, you know, it'd be funny. I was like, let's, let's like uh, handcuff him to the, the pole. And I think as a joke, one of us put the handcuffs on his wrist and he was like, ah, and he made sort of like a teenage, you know, bondage joke. But then we took a bike chain and looped it through the handcuff and chained it around the flagpole. And we all just slowly walked away. And for the first, like, for the first 60 seconds, he thought it was hilarious and he was laughing. And then we walked out of sight and just stood there. And understandably, we, we kind of just like let the joke run too long. And after a few minutes, he started bugging out like really. And I don't God, blame him. I mean, you're terrible. chained Going to, to a flagpole in the middle of an abandoned mental institution at night and your friends have just walked away. But then after a few minutes, we went back and, and released him. Well, and I, then, I uh, hope somebody paid for his disco fries that night down at the Pilgrim Diner. No one knew it is. He probably died. It was definitely an Eagle Rock diner afterwards. True. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He probably paid for our disco for us. That's fair. Now I'll tell you what. I hadn't even thought about this, and I feel like it was one of you guys because we had another high school friend. Uh, he went by the nickname Wilson, so I know you guys know who I'm talking about. Um, and I remember him having a story once that he found out. Some of our friends were going up there, and he tried to go up behind them, like like he, Mike D. You just made a face that you yeah. had also forgotten this story. Was it you, Mike D? And that he tried to like trail some people to scare them, and they realized, and one of our friends almost chopped his head off with a machete. Uh, yeah, that. Um, so we we were up there. So you I had only forgotten know that one my, too, huh? I totally forgot about that, but we we were up there one day and and he found out that that we were going to be be up there and I didn't know this. So our our version of the story is we're up there and you know whenever you're there we like we keep saying we always had weapons. You're on edge. And we were you're on, legit. Uh, we were this on is high not alert. Bluster. You are ready to run. You are ready to fight when you go up there, especially at night. That jerk off was dressed in all fucking black. What the fuck did he think was going to happen to him? You were there too, Nick. You you can verify that you were there. As I well. think I was probably one of the first people that would have struck him. <laughs> he uh, he. Th- 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 so what happened was it, we we came up the back way, and you would come up this. The, the back way, not the hill way, the flat road. And you're walking through like, you know, light woods. And then you come to what Nick mentioned, these two nicer houses. And we got to the two nicer houses and we were looking in there. And all of a sudden we see this person completely dressed in back, black with like a ski mask come running out of the woods. And I, f- I can't remember what the weapon was, but he had something like, like a stick or a pole. And we just see this person come running out. So a couple of us, Nick, myself, um, and I think the neighborhood ninja, we just charge at him and we floor the guy and knock him on the ground. And then one of us, which I mean, I guess it was me, I just took out a machete and I raised it over my head and he screams, it's me, it's me, and saying his name and then... He pulled the mask off, and we realized that it was someone that we had, someone that we'd all known for like our entire lives. Yeah, so it was a, of someone that we knew super well, and I mean, I think we were probably about four seconds away from accidentally or purposely beheading 
a, a kid that we grew up with because he ran out of the woods to attack us because he thought it would be funny, not realizing the level of tension that comes with <laughs> hanging out at this place. That guy was involved in a few near murder stories. George almost murdered him too. Remember, George threw him <laughs> off the uh, top deck of the Livingston Mall into the fountain. Remember that? Oh, that's right. And I wasn't there for that, George over with this minivan. Because oh George came over to my house one day. He had all this glass embedded in his skin. He's all bruised up. And he, <laughs> he said that he, as he to show off for some Livingston girls, which is the classic oh. George move. George loved Livingston girls. He picked up Wilson and like Ultimate Warrior Gorilla pressed him off the second floor of the Livingston Mall. And then Wilson got real mad and uh, drove his mini, chased him around the parking lot in his minivan and, and hit him with it. I just remembered another crazy story um, of meeting kids up there. So one day we went up there and it was a a summer afternoon and it was just a small crew of us, two or three of us. Bonaduce, I can't remember if you were there, but you might have been. But we went up there and when we got between the machine shop and the main building, there were two kids there and they had a dirt bike and they were riding this dirt bike up and down sort of like a, a pile of debris and we we're like, oh, that's cool. And so we started talking to them and talking about the place. Like, and the thing you always ask people, like, do you know where the morgue is? Have you found it? That was sort of the big secret. If you could find the morgue, the because morgue it wasn't was easy gone. to find. By the time I started going up there, the chapel and the morgue, they took them out. But had you seen the morgue? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I got it. Yeah, I, no, no. So I, I, eventually, we did. We did find the morgue, um, which was one of the spookiest things imaginable. Um, you would go eventually we found it by wandering through the tunnels for a long time and there was only what i could think of as a medical section of the tunnel so there was dentist's office um you know doctor's office i remember there being an x-ray place like a room with like an x-ray machine like the x-ray machine wasn't there anymore but the room luckily because we probably would have been like oh you know what's funny let's just keep hitting the x-ray button over and over again to irradiate ourselves um we'll get in there there Maybe yeah, ninja, it'll go be like Spider Man. It, it'll be like the Incredible Hulk. You'll be a real ninja. Ninja. <laughs> and uh, and we found it down there, and you know it was an actual morgue. It had, if I can remember, I had like four or eight of those drawers that you pull out, like stainless steel drawers where bodies go. <clears throat> there was an embalming table with um, one of those pumps you use to <laughs> to suck the fluids out of people. And it was a, you know, a legitimate full blown morgue. And I remember that really, really spooked me. Um, it spooked me because, you know, it's scary to be in a place where, you know, a lot of dead people have been. But the other thing that immediately came to my mind, I was like, Wow, for them to have a morgue here, people must have been dying at like a fairly yeah. frequent rate instead of just sending them, you know, down the hill to Casarelli's. Like yeah. <laughs> that was the other I think thing. Gossig, that I remember me about was that. it was like a county run thing. So like they, if you had like Potter's Fields back then and stuff like that, so you you know a lot of times they couldn't afford to like sub that stuff out, so they did it in house, and you had enough people dying on a regular basis from mental problems and stuff like that, or complications, and just people that were like neglected up there and were wards of the state in in old age, and they didn't know where else to where else to put them, you know. Well, I I'd be actually shocked if there weren't bodies there, or or at the very least when they built that subdivision, if they didn't have to stop constantly to exhume bodies. I know that there's Snake Hill in Secaucus, and when they built the Secaucus train station, there used to be a mental hospital there, and 
there were delays for years on that train station because they kept finding bodies and realizing this was another potter's field. Like they really did just bury bodies on the ground. <clears throat> when the it's time. that level of like when they're finding bodies, I think, yeah, you'll hear about it. But like, I'm telling you a hundred percent being in the field that I'm in, it was like, if you're doing a job and like everybody there is like earning a paycheck and you're like, Oh, I think that might be a femur or something like that. <laughs> Immediately what jumps into every single working person's, <laughs> mind right then is like oh shit they're gonna they're gonna fucking shut this fucking job down i'm gonna be out of fucking work so like unless i found a lot of fucking bones i'm gonna tell you when i run a lot of excavations motherfucker we're gonna keep on digging and i didn't see shit okay because i got a fucking mortgage to pay okay that's the fucking that's the truth of the matter of living in new jersey like and that's what i do with the people i work with every single day and i'm on board with this unless there's a giant indian grave or something like that or you know a boatload of people that of, of people that they found buried like a Viking ship or something with a real like historic like importance like motherfucker we're digging this foundation and pouring concrete because I'm not going to be out of a fucking job I apologize but so if you're it's, like if this it's is probably Josh a mafia Mo, hit the guy probably yeah, did something to deserve like, it oh like uh, all right anybody else see that now just fucking load it out like in a couple different loads <laughs> on different trucks and make sure they don't find all the bodies together because they'll just get smashed up into like you know some recycle pile somewhere wow that's no, I, personally but i think there's i think there's a lot more bodies that are probably found you know maybe decomposed or really old graves and stuff like that all the time but you just never I, hear about it i want to make sure i tell you guys my best encounter with other human beings because you, <laughs> you have stuff like like you said the goth girl in the tunnel or like i i remember just being up there once and just seeing just a lone guy wandering through one of those fields and you're just like, what the fuck? And it's chilling. One that stands out to me is uh, I was up there once with, so Mike D, you lived with a guy named, uh, nickname, one of his many nicknames, Dirty Dave, the guy who never changed his sheets. So there was a dirt outline on his sheets of his body. I lived with his little brother and they were from North Caldwell and I was hanging out with him one day. And if I remember right, he was like, you know, I live in North Caldwell and I've never actually been. That just blows bin. my mind. But I, I or, or he yeah. hadn't been in years or something. Yeah. Or we were bored and hanging out. It was something like that. And it was funny because you guys kept talking about, oh, there's the one way where you got to cut through the active hospital and hop a fence. And it's funny because that's the way everybody went to the bin first. And you'd realize, well, the, the workers at the active hospital might see you. You're running past suburban houses that are still lived in to get to that way. And then you eventually come to realize, Oh, there's actually just a little park in North Caldwell where you can, you can it's park a parking your, lot. You can park your car in this parking lot, this kind of shrouded in woods and just walk past a barrier. So he and I went up there. We're poking around the buildings. It's the day. And we're in the top floor of that welcome to hell building. And all of a sudden we just hear the voices and we look out of one of these top floor windows and, you know, we're crouching down behind it and you see these guys coming up the other road. Like we came up the North Caldwell way, they're coming up the Verona way and it's just, okay, there's three guys, wait, five, seven, 11, 13, 15 fucking guys. And I'm not kidding. Every single one of them is shirtless. Every single one of them is carrying a hammer. Every single one. Like these guys. It was said, the village people. Yes. And there was one dressed as an Indian. But it was, two of them were sailors. They were all these like shirtless jack dudes. And clearly the memo had gone out. Like everybody bring a hammer. And me and Dan ducked down. 
And it's, it's just like, what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So first we're like tipping over, trying to quietly tip over shit in this, um, in this room, like in case they come and come running in here, we want something between us and them. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe, maybe they'll keep going, you know, they'll check out some of the other buildings first so we can just kind of quietly walk back downstairs and get away. Nope, no luck. They're all gathering right in front of the building that we are currently in. And it's like, oh God, here we go. So this goes one of two ways, right? You stay quiet and you hope they don't find you. I go the other way. I turn to Dan. I go, we need to start yelling at them right now. And he's like, what are you talking about? I go, because, well, because I go, if we're going to surprise them, if they're going to get surprised that people are here, I want that happening when they're all outside. I don't want that happening when they're coming around the corner with their hammers. Like I don't want them within (laughs) hammer throwing distance. You know what I mean? So I just lean up through the window. I go, hey, guys, there's somebody else here. We're up here. And they're all, whoa, whoa like freaking out. My instinct was right. These guys, I would have gotten beaten to death with, with 15 hammers. And I'm going, calm down. Everybody calm down. I just want you to know there's other people up here. We don't have weapons. We don't have anything. We're just looking around. And they go, okay, okay, us too. And it turned out they were all from Wayne which I feel like is very on brand for a bunch of shirtless dudes with hammers. I feel like from our area in North Jersey, I'm like, yeah, of course they're from Wayne. That's there's two or three towns you're going to be from. In my estimation, Wayne is one of them. And I'll never forget. They, they keep going, bro, you guys been up here before. And I'm like, yeah, I've been up here a whole bunch. They go, we hear that this place is one of the gateways to hell. (laughs) I was like, I don't know anything about that, but it could be, I wouldn't be shocked. And then they go, have you ever been in the tunnels? We hear there's tunnels. I'm like, yeah, I've been in the tunnels. And they made me show them. They made me be like a guide. They made me guide them through the tunnels. And I'm just <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Like, they're all big and they have weapons and they're all jumping. Well, at least they were like so somewhat friendly, you know? They calmed down and they started to view me as their older leader. Um, and I felt relatively safe because I, I knew that they... If if the goth girl reappeared, they would have killed her, not me, because we had become allies. But that was. That have was, you ever been to Fountains of Wayne? Have you ever yeah. been to Fountains of Wayne? You ever had that? You ever been to the Anthony Wayne? The onion rings are pretty good, man. <laughs> onion rings are pretty good at the Anthony Wayne. You stop there after you go to the DMV. Oh. That's terrifying. But I also think it's weird <laughs> that you're. Your fear for that wasn't that they were going to hit you with a hammer. It's that they would be within throwing distance of throwing a hammer at you like Super Mario. Well, listen, you're talking a good game saying you're shocked at that. But we all know that we grew up in a reality where in our minds, double dragon was going to happen in real life at any given second. And that a weapon. Why would you run up and hit someone with a weapon when you could throw it from afar and look even cooler? I know in our minds, we all... We all know that to be true. Don't underestimate. That's why we carry multiple hammers. (laughs) I I forgot that I didn't give the the punchline to the dirt bike kid story. Oh, right. I'm so sorry. We got sidetracked. That's my fault. We we just wandered off. Although to to call it a a punchline is not a a great thing. I'll just tell this and then I'll uh, react to Bonaduce's comment. So... (laughs) We meet these two kids, they have a dirt bike, they're riding up a pile of rubble, and then one of them's like, oh, you want to see something really cool? And we're like, okay, cool, yeah, what do you got? So he takes us around back of the building, 
and there's a bunch of, of bottles on top of 55-gallon drums, and he takes out a 22, a pistol, and he starts shooting them. And we're like, oh, man. And we think it's cool. And they're, they were using a firearm in a non-threatening way. And then the other kid's like, I'm going to go up on the roof, man. I heard there's like some really cool stuff up there. We're like, okay. So we leave those kids. And then a few minutes, I don't know, maybe like 10 minutes later, we're wandering around and we hear a scream from between the buildings and we run in between the machine shop where the other building was and the one kid is laying on the ground and his arm is completely twisted the uh, the wrong way, like, you know, like like cartoon arm. And his friend is like, oh my God, my friend fell off the roof. Like, I, I think he's really hurt. And I'm like, yeah, man, he's really hurt. I'm like... We're going to leave. You should call an ambulance. And I remember we left and went to that little convenience store that when you got off the road at the Rona, there was like a 7-Eleven or something, and called 911. We're like, oh, there was a kid at the hospital. He fell off the roof. And then I don't don't know what ever happened after that, but I knew that that was a bad scene. I forgot about that. Remember? They they had had a dirt bike, a gun, and then someone fell off the roof. They were super friendly when we were up there. They They were nice. They were tearing ass and like, like, hey, what's up, blah, blah, blah. They kind of told us a bunch of stuff about the bin. And it was one of our daytime adventures, so it was definitely probably earlier on because I think our attitude was, "Hey, we should really go up there during the day." So, like you know, before or whatever. But um, but I do remember. I remember the dirt bikes. I totally just forgot about that insane injury because we went to that. Um, if you came out that way uh, and come by the Essex County Jail, there was. I remember we used to go to the one Krausers there and buy like uh, like porno. Yeah, that's exactly. Like that. Yep. Exactly. I know. Oh my god, dude, that's insane. I am shocked, wow. Mike D, that when you called 911 and said, hey, some kid fell off the roof at the hospital, they weren't like, oh, third time this week, man. Like, this guy. They were like, can hospital. you please hold? We've got another kid who's just fallen off the roof. We'll, <laughs> right. get we'll tell the ambulance to turn around because they were already transporting one kid away from there. But here's something I really love that keeps happening in this episode. There's been two or three times where Mike D has said something and Nick goes, oh my God, I forgot. And to me, that's proof for anybody listening. This is not, oh, we're sitting bullshit and exaggerating. You're hearing people remember this together. I'm remembering the Wilson thing. Mike's remembering that. And we're listening to, and all realizing together, it's real. Stuff really happened. Nick, what the hell is that? Is that fruit by the foot? We're trying to pick back up from the piss break and you're shining a red light on your face eating fruit by the foot. Keep this part in, by the way, Carson. We can cut out all the stuff we said in the break, but you keep look like in the part where I'm mentioning. You look just like... Cthulhu. <laughs> He's got fruit by the foot dangling out of his mouth. It's not it's not just fruit by the foot. It's the one that's massive. So Steven makes me get the fruit by the foot. It's so friggin' good. He threatens me every week. He's don't like, don't eat all my fruit by the foot. I was like, I can't make any promises. <laughs> now Nick, there's a long tradition of you eating snacks on this show. But eating fruit by the foot while on a mic is perhaps the most flagrant thus far. That's of all things to eat. It's it's known for turning you mealy mouthed, mush mouthed. I didn't think we were going back to like the story guys. That's all. I mean, well, we're keeping this in. You can finish your snack, but I refuse to edit this part out. The world needs to hear <laughs> us make fun of you for trying to eat fruit by the foot while speaking into a microphone. I don't understand. I'm hungry. I'm like, I need sugar. <laughs> I get that. It's so good, though. You have no idea. Like, you might as well just try to eat 
saltwater taffy on a microphone. In fact, probably we should do that in a future episode. I just muscled it down. You're good now. It's so delicious, though. I apologize. <laughs> We're leaving that in. You know, we've been going for a while. I do want to say one of the things that you have to note about your time at the bin was there were all these reminders of how real it was. Like you would be in a tunnel and step on something and look down and it would be an actual straitjacket or you'd enter a room and there'd be like an actual gurney on wheels tipped over on its side. And this is not an exaggeration. There was stuff everywhere that reminded you it was real. Mike D mentioned the morgue, the dentist office, you'd find stuff all the time. I mean, we found a straitjacket there and I had that straitjacket for years afterwards. Like, you know, and it was something we'd all jokingly put on, which actually was extremely scarring and terrifying to put on a straitjacket. Um, and I, my, my sympathy to any person who's ever been involuntarily subject to that. But yeah, I mean, we, we found all kinds of artifacts. I, I had a straitjacket for years I mean, we had we had files of people I had that so we found. Files. I had I notebooks. Had, I remember two files in particular I found because there'd be there were just endless rooms that had filing cabinets in them and drawers, and you'd go in and there'd be ones tipped over on their side. And, but but there were almost too many for kids to destroy all of them. I would say, and I remember going through the files. Two that jump out. I remember. One from a nurse just begging to be transferred, just a nurse listing all the reasons that she was in over her head and could not work in that facility. And another one about two girls who uh, escaped and ran down the hill and made it all the way down Bloomfield Avenue to Montclair before they caught them. And it was like the incident report about that, about these two poor girls fleeing from the children's ward. And making it pretty far on foot to make it all the way down to Montclair from there. That that's a, that's an adventure. I remember those. Um, I don't. Know that if was the f- saddest thing was that there was there were a lot of things there that you would see that indicate that children lived there. Yeah. Right. There there were rooms you would go into and they would have you know the smaller sized beds. They would have in the bathrooms like those lower sinks that they they put in for kids. Drawings on the wall. Like, like you'll see like a painting of a duck and you're like, oh, this was like, like a kid's playroom. This was like a kid's playroom, man. Like, and of course it's been abandoned for 30 years. So the duck looks all fucked up and scary, you know, like, but you're sitting there like, man, this was like some kid got dropped here because he was either dying of tuberculosis or he was, you know, had mental problems. And this is where they played. It was grim. Mm. That was the part that always, that actually probably bothered me more than anything else because you would go around and see, you know, you would, there was a lot of, there was a lot of clothes there. Um, Like everywhere you looked around, there was, you know, shirts, pants, old clothing thrown all over the place. And I always remember thinking a lot of it was, was children-sized clothing. And I always found that to be really sad and disturbing yeah. for that exact reason. Like, okay, like, here you go, kid. Here's your, your life. You know, you're, you're now in this it asylum. Clothes, um, furniture, and files. You were going to find those all over the floor, all over that facility. Now, speaking of files, Mike D, I don't know how you do this, man. Like, 
you managed to research these topics and come up with stuff. In our document, you put a visual aid. I don't know if this is something you had and that you scanned or if you found this online, but you have one of the files from 1965. Cool. I found this online um, (laughs) after some deep digging. Yeah, but I thought the reason I wanted to share this was this was really typical of the kind of paperwork. There were really two kinds of paperwork that you would see there. One is the kind of file we're talking about, which is it was bigger than a file card, but it was essentially like an incident report. And they would be in these filing cabinets stacked together and it's short. It's maybe 250 words and it lists the date and it would be meeting notes and all the doctors who were there, you know, and this one, in this case, they're discussing a, a patient who they're diagnosing as schizophrenic, and they're saying that she smokes a lot of cigarettes and she thinks she might be a witch. And these things were everywhere. There were thousands of them. And then the other kind of paperwork that you would see a lot of were were old notebooks, really old. They all looked identical. Mm-hmm. They were bound old notebooks. They were written, it looked like, in fountain pen. It definitely wasn't ballpoint, line notebooks. And they would basically be the notes from doctor's rounds. And so you'd go and locks. it would say, and yeah, and nurses' locks. So like, oh, went to see patient X, gave them their medication. They were in this condition. And then it would just be hundreds and hundreds of entries like that. And these notebooks were everywhere. I mean, thousands and thousands of pages of patient notes just thrown all over this place. And like you said, there were so many that not even the, the ability, the ingrained ability of teenage destruction could destroy and take away all of this paperwork. This one says specifically that, um, it was filed, of course, by someone named Dr. Kafka, which mm. is fitting, um, and does quote a patient. Uh, they, they caught the girl uh, smoking, and she says she has nothing to do but smoke. And then they quote her as saying, I don't know whether I am a witch or not. She says a witch is voodoo. She still thinks she is in her right mind. She says she's being persecuted, and she refuses to be questioned any further on this. She then left the staff room. Diagnosis, schizophrenic, chronic, undifferentiated type. It lists like 10 doctors that were present. This wow. is That's at 11.30 a.m. That's how the, the other day, that was before lunch, those doctors had to deal with the witch. It was I probably also, like a typical day, though. I mean, that was probably... Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I got to make sure I get this in because... Carson, who is the secret weapon of this entire project, of everything you hear on Wotown and, and the entire Patreon, um, Carson's the, the, the behind-the-scenes mastermind of all of it, rarely offers up uh, entries into the lore. But this one, because I, I remembered this. I remember when Carson and I were buddies, we did a lot of Weird New Jersey stuff together, and you guys had already graduated, Um. And I was always, I always was in this weird age group where I felt like I was the youngest member of one crew and an older member of another one. And and when I was with the gang that included Carson, I remember him telling me, "Oh, I'm I'm dating this girl, and you literally have to drive through the grounds of that hospital to get to her house." Like it went that Fairview Ave right past those. And he put this in from his time there. I dated a girl who lived just down the street from the nearby active asylum. She told me about this time the cops pulled up on a girl walking down the street in a hospital gown. And when they asked her where she was from, she pointed up and said, I'm from heaven. She had snuck out of the hospital and was wandering aimlessly around in a daze. 
That's real, man. That's spooky. You think the property value of those, you know, when you're, the house is right up, you know, the Fairview Ave houses right across the street from it or right next to it when the property ends. That, you must have been able to get a house cheap there when that place was up and running, huh? I bet they were... More staff homes. I bet the... Yeah, I bet they were attached to it because if I remember the architectural style of the homes that were lining the road there uh, was almost identical to a lot. Like the bricks were essentially the same as the ones that you would see all call. around the actual hospital complex. And again, I'm no no expert on asylum architecture and development, but that would be my educated <laughs> you know, guess. Also keep in mind that if you went up the other way, when you went up Bloomfield Avenue and you're going north, the the first place I would turn was when you saw the Essex County Prison. So it wasn't an right. area that there was just this mental hospital. I mean, historically, you had the prison system right there, too. You went down that street and, you know, you hung a right at the next major road. I forgot what it was called now. I can't remember. But that was like a really nice area over there. Like the oh, residential area was like beautiful. So... I mean, there's probably way more incidents. I'm sure, like, local law enforcement in those areas were probably, like, you know, it's probably, it was probably a regular occurrence that, like, you know, it was it didn't have a fence around it, and, you know, people would get out. Like, somebody leaves the door open, you know, somebody's going to have a cigarette in the back of a building, and somebody slips out, and, you know, they run out to Bloomfield Avenue. It's not that far away, and they get picked up or whatever. They're in somebody's hiding in somebody's, like, you know, shed in their backyard. I'm sure that shit happened all the time over there, you know? It must have been nuts, man. You're just trying to sleep, and you got somebody howling at the moon in your backyard. That's uh, and I, I listen. I've talked in great detail about my own mental illness. I'm I'm not trying to make fun, but man, to live in that environment, that's got to be crazy. So, listen, we've been going a long time. Any, I mean, we've listed so much. I mean, Mike D, you you're listing here that you've climbed the water towel tower, which is uh amazing to me that you stumbled into padded rooms up there you also once saw the SWAT team practicing up there yeah one one day we went up there and we went in the Verona way so the up the hill water tower way and I even though that way was more of a pain because it took longer and it was harder to find a place to put your car I always liked that way because you could get an entire view of the place before you went in so you could see. So Mm -hmm. we went up the road, got to the top of the hill and we got there. We saw, you know, two dozen SWAT, SWAT armed officers in body armor with helmets and weapons conducting some kind of training exercise. And I was like, Oh, I guess today is not a day we visit the bin. So we turned around and left. And I remember hearing, Later on, you know, reading in the paper in a in the Star Ledger represent that they actually started using that space for SWAT teams to train almost as like a, you know, a place where you could walk through buildings and do different type of, you know, police exercises in, in, in a place where it was safe to do that. Nick, any closing thoughts, any last minute memories coming to your mind as you as as the reality soaks in of how much time you spent at this evil place? Oh no! Just another, um, you know, just a great uh, place to explore as a kid. Even though it was, it it gave you all the feelings that you wanted when you went to go. You know, you wanted ultimately you wanted to spook yourself out. You wanted to have an experience. It provided every sensory uh, stimulation that you could imagine. You're, you know, you're afraid. You can smell different weird smells. It's it's everything. It's the uh, sounds of people screaming. Um, 
you know, a, running into people you never know you're going to run into and, and the danger that goes with it. So it provided every thrill of exploring, uh, you know, a strange place that you would want. But at the same time, when it's actually happening, it was pretty terrifying. <laughs> but no. one time we um, one time we went up there and it had just snowed a lot. And I remember going up there and, you know, it was a good amount of snow, probably like six, eight inches of snow. And I, I, I can't remember why we would make that drive in the snow. We thought it might be cool. But I remember we got up there and there was all this snow. Everything was quiet and peaceful and buried and white and shiny. And that was the one time that I went up there where I thought for a second, like, you know, maybe this was sometimes an okay place for people because every other time I went up there, I would leave and sort of exhale and be like, Oh, I feel okay now because you didn't even realize you were holding your breath the entire time you were up there walking around out of fear. But that was the one time where I had a very different experience going up there when it had just snowed. I will say in closing, one thing that's, I didn't even, it's not even a thought I had formulated before we started talking tonight was, I don't know if, the tearing down of that place, in my mind, really seems to represent society kind of deciding that we're no longer going to raise children the way that the three of us were raised, if that makes sense. Like, there are differences. Like, I, I just, being a parent now myself, and you guys are the same, like, Parents don't operate that way anymore. Where a kid's going to go sneak off onto the grounds of an abandoned hospital complex multiple times and the parent's never going to find out about it. It's just not how parents roll as much these days. And that place getting torn down feels to me like one of the biggest physical representatives of that that I could point to from my entire childhood. I mean, I think that... I think that's true that that doesn't exist anymore. My take is slightly different, which is I don't think it's the parents. I think the way that everyone is connected now has destroyed what I think of as the childhood and teenage grapevine, Mm -hmm. which is this idea where you got information and ideas and places to go because other kids told you about them. And it was a ritual thing that passed from one kid to another Whereas now, if you can just go online and look up places to go, it's not the same thing as another kid telling you about it, someone you know. So I feel like it, that part of culture has disappeared where kids pass legends from one, one another directly. I also think similar to that, and I don't want to be crotchety, a crotchety old anti-technology <laughs> Luddite. Be crotchety. Well, here's a major difference that, that moving forward – no kid will understand, which is that today you could just open up Waze, type in Overbrook Hospital, and I guarantee it would tell you exactly how to get there. And for us, I can say so sincerely that when you'd be bored and you'd go around and you'd do the scary stuff, we got all these stories about the bin because this one was very real, but more often than not, what happens is you drive around all night, you can't find it. You go to the gas station, you ask the guy, you ever heard of Monk's Castle? <laughs> you know how to get there? You know, like he, he's like, oh, I heard of it. My brother used to go there. I think it's in this town. And then you go there, you can't find it. Oh, there's a diner open. So you go, 
you, you're, you're coming up with a new battle, right? Like a strat, actually sitting down at the diner, everybody gets like a grilled cheese and, and a cup of coffee and you're going, okay, so we'll try this or that. And then you realize, oh, this waitress actually seems nice. Oh, hey, miss, you ever heard of Monk's Castle? You know how to get to Monk's Castle? Oh, yeah, yeah, Monk's Castle right here. It was like... A whole adventure. And and I'd say even on that, half of those nights you'd actually not even get to where you're going. You'd never find the place. And those were some of the best nights from our childhood, was being lost, not knowing how to get to a place, not knowing exactly where we're going to wind up, and having to talk to people to sort it out. And now you just punch it into the phone. And I use my phone for directions every time I'm in the car. I'm not mad about it. I would never want to go back to a world where I don't have that, but... I remember, on that note, I remember stopping at 7-Elevens just so I could go look at a Hagstrom's map and figure out where the hell I was. Yeah. I'd be like, what street am I on? Like, where am I? I'd be like, they're like, oh, this is uh, such and such. You asked the guy at the 7-Eleven. I literally go over to the Hagstrom map like thing and be like, oh, I'm in Essex County. I'm in this town. And you locate yourself by grid. And you're like, oh, okay, Jesus, I'm not that far from like one of the two major roads that will get me home either. You know, the parkway, the turnpike, from there I'll be able to figure it out. But well, Yeah, and it really wasn't uncommon at all to have a conversation where you'd walk into a store and go, hey, I, th- I think I'm kind of near Bloomfield Ave right now. Is that true? Or like you'd go, am I near Passaic Ave? I'm, I think I'm near the Fairfield Airport. Is that true? And then you'd be like, at least I have a landmark now to know how to get home. And there was a certain sense of adventure with that. And I'm, I, again, I'm not going to sit here and be crotchety, but I do think... It's a shame thinking about my son um, not having those moments of just getting lost and winding up talking to Glamrock Joe at the 7-Eleven in Livingston all night because you got lost and your night struck out. So that's what you're doing. Or sitting in the diner or talking to the gas station guy. I think there was something cool about that. Yeah, I think that's cool too. But I think you you have to hold out a little bit of hope. And I think part of um, the kind of way that I'm raising my kids right now – to make them engage with other people and they're young. I mean, my kids are seven and 11 years old, but like I take them out. I make them engage with people. I make them, I, I force them to be in situations where I'll ask my daughter to like make a decision when we're driving about a direction. I was like, or I'll ask her to go onto her maps app. And I'm like, listen, now this is where we're going figure out how to get to this point. Like, you know what I mean? Tell me where we are. Tell me when this, this such and such is coming up. Like, so if you, if you kind of like, groom your kids to to start thinking independently now and you know take you know make decisions and be confident in something that you're doing i think you can have a comfortable comfortableness you know your kids going to do something that they're not supposed to be doing and not going to be monitored you hope that they make the best decisions so i want to arm yeah. my kids i want to arm my kids with all those tools that i thought were important for me and i mean we had some unique experiences but i, I don't think anything that i tell them is going to hurt them i mean I just, I always, you know, I reinforce the thing is be careful, you know, and, and protect yourself. But at the same time, you know, engage with the people and be po- as positive as you can. It does bring to mind. I mean, we literally told a story today about one of us almost accidentally chopping off a friend's head with a machete. <laughs> and I'm sitting here and waxing nostalgic about that. But I'm also sitting here going... What if my son, who just turned 20 months old a couple days ago, comes home someday to me and goes, hey, so me and my buddies were there and I'm in a lot of trouble because I I hit him with a machete. Am I horrified or am I kind of quietly proud? Have you guys had to think about this as dads? Oh, definitely. I, you know, 
I just shouldn't say that. We all, everybody just kind of, no one knows what to say, right? No easy answer here. You know what I learned? Because it, to me, I, I always tell my kids, and this is the thing, it's like, be completely honest with me, no matter what happened, and we can move on from that point. But you have to, I want my kids to know that, because we lived in fear for a lot of our childhood, that if we ever did anything terrible or hurt ourselves that like we couldn't tell our parents because the ramifications would be like, you know, an ass whipping or some kind of terrible fucking, you know, deliverance put upon <laughs> yourself. But so we hit a lot of stuff. I don't want my kids to have that relationship with their, with me. You know, I want them to be able to be open about whatever, but um, no, it's, I mean, I, what are you going to do? I, listen, when I was a kid, I, I can remember saying like, Oh, getting arrested is the worst thing that'll ever happen to you in your life. And like, Jesus Christ, I got arrested. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, get locked up or whatever is the worst thing. But then it happens. You're like, oh, it puts things in perspective. So, you know, I'd feel more terrible for kids now. My God, if you hit somebody with a machete now, the kid would be like locked up and forget about you. The parents like, what was your child doing with a machete? And why did he almost hack this other kid? And what were they doing roaming around in an abandoned as- a mental asylum? And, uh, you know, of course you would be, you'd be the, you would be the problem, not your kid. Like, well, yeah. And if, I think uh, that's actually probably going to prove true, right? <laughs> <laughs> probably my, I will screw my kid up worse than anything. All right. Oh, you're bound to, especially the first kid. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. Mike D any closing thoughts tonight? I mean, just because the world is extremely connected now doesn't mean that there can't be a sense of mystery. And, you know, I don't always do this, but sometimes I do a little research on the things we're talking about to jog my memory. And when I started to look up the bin, what I found was so much of what you can read about this that's out there is completely wrong and inaccurate. So my point is... There is no substitution for actually going out and doing and experiencing the thing yourself because just Googling it and looking at it online is not going to give you the same feelings. And most importantly, it's not going to give you the stories that you can then tell on a podcast with your friends 25 years later. Now, usually we end with a game and I was having trouble coming up with one, but I think I've come up with an interesting one. It's going to take us a second to wrap our heads around it. But it's ba- does it involve fruit game? by the foot? It does you not want to hear my game? Yeah, guess, what color, guess what color I'm thinking of right now. Uh, red? Wrong. <laughs> it's a pretty fun game. Green, green. That was a fun game. Here's what I'm thinking. I think we get, let's get a little different with this. Let's get a little weirder than we have. I'm going to make it interactive with anyone who might be listening to this in the future. Uh Uh-oh. Each one of us right now has to think back to all the stuff we've discussed tonight and pitch a slogan for a t-shirt that will wind up in our t-shirt store. And what we'll do is we'll take the three, we'll make a poll, and we will let the people subscribe to our Patreon vote in this poll. And since it is based around a poll, Mm -hmm. whoever gets the least amount of votes... We're going to go back up to that fancy subdivision. We're going to see if that flagpole is still there. Whoever gets the least votes gets handcuffed and bike chained to that flagpole for one hour if and the, has to explain if, it. If the, the flagpole's not there, you have to get handcuffed to like a storm grate. 
get storm, you get handcuffed to it, and you're so you'd be like laying on the ground, handcuffed to it, and then when the cops come, you have to explain. For what some happened. people, that's not a punishment. <laughs> that might go. be a pleasure. A kink, a kink. <laughs> but I mean, if you were handcuffed to something up there in that neighborhood, now the cops would be called in 35 seconds, right? Oh my god, yeah. All right. Somebody's oh, that even seems. They'd probably a like see you on somebody's time. like ring doorbell, and they would be like. I was like, I was at work. I got a notification on my ring doorbell, and there's some man and his friends chained him to the sewer grate in the middle of the street. Like, can't figure out what's going on. It might be a I terrorist think it was attack. Well, well-known comedian Chris Gethard. <laughs> oh, look, he looks that, familiar. That would, that would be the police description. Be like, yeah, and, it was it was that the, guy I read about in the Star Ledger 11 years ago when his career was more promising. <laughs> All right, let's everybody take a second to brainstorm. <clears throat> All right. Come I'm up ready. With your pitch. All right. Mike's ready. I think I'm ready. And then we will let you guys vote on it. So join the Patreon. There'll be a predetermined amount of time. And when that time is up, we will know who the loser is. And we might even get a cool t shirt out of it. Who knows? So yeah. who wants to go first? And you can't change yours if first. the other person's is funnier. I think mine is bad, but you go first, Mike T. I think this should. It can be available on a black t-shirt with white lettering in the Screamer font, which for people who don't know is the ACDC font, which I'm a big fan of. But I also think there should be a limited edition version available on tie-dye that says, have you found the morgue? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Nick, you want to go next or you want to finish? Well, I don't have any design ideas with it, but... I do have a, a good one, and it applies to many different ways, and it definitely applies to the bin in particular. Uh, when in doubt, whip it out. And in for the bin, this reference is into having protection with you. But that re- that reference can also be used in other situations, also. So it would be like an image of a machete or something. Exactly. Yes. No, when it should be it should be an image of two two. Two crossed mini bats from Yankee Stadium mini bat day. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mine New Jersey be- bin core. New Jersey bin core. Oh, my God, with two crossed bats. That's the T-shirt, right? <laughs> uh, mine was going to ha- be a nice, simple uh, white text on black T-shirt, bury me in the potter's field. Oh. A little bit of an existentialist dread right yeah. there. So everybody listening? When you hear this, the poll will soon be live. Join the Patreon. You can vote. Uh, Your votes will determine not just a new t-shirt in our store, but who will be in truly (laughs) degrading fashion, handcuffed and chained to to some sort of object in Verona, New Jersey, uh, and then have to explain it. That being said, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to my stalwart companions as it really <laughs> trips down the scariest memory lane. And we'll see you next time. Enjoy the longest night of the year. Well, the days get longer tomorrow, so there's something to look forward to. You can measure it with fruit by the foot. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you so sincerely for subscribing on Patreon. It means the world. We know that people don't have money to spare. It's been a tight year for everybody. The fact that you're spending some of your money on us, we are flattered by it and we don't take it for granted. I mean that so genuinely. And hey, let people know we're out here. It really helps. If, if you think, hey, man, this is actually bringing the heat. It's worth the time and the cash. Let people know. It means a lot when you do. Thank you in advance for that. And if you ever need me, what you do is you drive down there where Route 46 and Route 3 meet, and I'll be 
Not at the Six Brothers Diner because they knocked it down, but I'll be standing in that parking lot within the ghost of the Six Brothers Diner.